All right, Galatians chapter 6. Let's start reading in verse 12. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh... Isn't that an interesting phrase? As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. As many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy upon the Israel of God. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for Grace Baptist Church, the opportunity to gather here Lord, uh, please be with those of our family who can't be with us because of sickness or because of their tra- because they're traveling. But Lord, thank you for those that are here. And Lord, I pray that we are encouraged by your word, we're challenged, Lord, that we're changed. Lord, help us all to submit to your word as it's preached in its context. In Jesus' name, amen. This is an interesting text. It's an interesting passage. And this deals with pretty much every problem there is in Christianity. I'm going to solve every problem in Christianity in this one message. Amen? And some of you are thinking, well, he's just arrogant enough to think that he can do it. No, really, I'm going to. It's like when we answered Calvinism. You know, one sermon solved 500 years of theological controversy. You know, a lot of times, the controversy is because people just don't want to submit to the Word of God. There's really not that much controversy. And we're going to deal with this passage this week and next week. And um, I hope next week you'll invite someone back because next week I'm going to speak on infant baptism and how that ties into this text. And I think that, I think that you'll find that interesting. But what I want to cover today is the error, the reason for the error, the answer, and the power. So let's start with the error. What is the error? Look at verse 12. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cause of Christ. So here's the error. The error is taking a physical right that marks you as a member of a particular group and mistaking that for some spiritual merit or righteousness in the eyes of God. Let me read that again taking a physical right that marks you as a member of a particular group and mistaking that for some spiritual merit or righteousness in the eyes of God. So here's the idea. In the text, it's circumcision. And that was a sign for the Jews. It was a a physical right that was given to the, the male child that was born into the Jewish race to identify them as being a part of the Hebrew race. That was the purpose of circumcision. It was to show that they were a distinct people. But the mistake the Jews made was they thought that that physical right made them special. That they thought that physical right somehow made them more holy, more worthy in the sight of God. And of course, that's false. So here we are in the book of Galatians, and now you have in, the, in this first century, you have Christians 
who are preaching the gospel of grace by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet you have some people that are going to come and try and include the Jewish rites with salvation, with living the Christian life, and putting people back under the law. And the apostle is saying in no uncertain terms that that is a false religion. So the error, this is the same error that's made over and over and over again. You ask someone, are you a Christian? They say, yes, I was baptized as a baby. Does that make a person a Christian? But if you ask about 90% of Christianity, they'll say yes. Remember, remember, the majority is almost always wrong. It is amazing how many people think that baptizing a baby makes them a Christian. What is a Christian? A person who's saved. Born again. Does infant baptism save? No. What does baptism do? Baptism, as we've discussed many times, but it's been a little while, let's, let's cover this briefly. Baptism requires the proper candidate. That is a person who's born again. They're saved. Nowhere in the Bible is someone baptized who is not following something. All right? In, when you have John's baptism, John the Baptist, they were identifying with him calling people back to looking for the Messiah, calling them back to Messianic Judaism. The King is coming. The Messiah is here. And they were being baptized to identify with that message. When you move a little bit farther on, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when people are baptized... They're baptized, identifying with the baptism of Jesus Christ. You must be saved. Now, let me say this. No one who is born again in the New Testament, there's not one instance of, of a person being born again where they don't follow the Lord and believer's baptism. Isn't that interesting? Very interesting. But baptism is not essential for salvation. It's not. It's not a part of salvation. It's something different. What does baptism do? Your baptism identifies you with a local New Testament church. So when you get baptized into this New Testament church here at Grace Baptist, you follow the Lord, you get saved, you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're born again, you're going to heaven. Now you want to become a member, a participating member of this spiritual body right here. You want to become a member of this. What, what do you have to do? You have to follow the Lord and believer's baptism. Your baptism identifies you with Grace Baptist Church, but it requires the proper candidate, a person who's born again. Then it requires the proper mode. Baptism in the Bible is always immersion. That's all. That's all that it is. It's immersion. And then it requires the, the proper administration. And that's the local New Testament church. Baptism is for the local church. It's for the New Testament church. Then, baptism does three th things. There are three words that explain baptism for us. Baptism is obedience. It's obedience. Why did Jesus Christ get baptized? Remember, he, he met John the Baptist? And he wanted him to baptize him. And John says, no, I don't want to baptize you. And Jesus said, no, I must fulfill all righteousness. I must fulfill all righteousness. The Bible then tells us that we are to be baptized. The Great Commission, of course. We are to go, preach, teach, <coughs> baptize. Baptize. It's a command. So it is, baptism is, first of all, obedience. It's obedience to the Lord's command. It's obedience to the Word of God. But baptism is also identification. Baptism is identification. Baptism identifies you with the Lord Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. What you're saying when you get baptized is, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for me, He was buried, and after three days, He rose from the dead, proving that He was, is, and always will be God. I'm identifying with Jesus Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. Amen? 
That's what baptism does. Look with me at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Look at verse 34. So Philip, God has had Philip go and find this Ethiopian eunuch who's reading the Scriptures but doesn't know Jesus. And look at what it says in verse 34. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? So he's reading in the book of Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter 53, and he can't understand the passage. And so he says, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And as they went on their way... Isn't that awesome? Amen. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? He wanted to be baptized. Why can't? What would stop me from being baptized? That's what the eunuch is asking Philip. Look what Philip says. Verse 37, Then Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went both down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. All right, so now, here we have, remember what we're saying, baptism is obedience, baptism is identification. Here, this baptism is identifying with the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? I believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, is the Son of God. He rose from the dead. He lives. Amen? And then baptism, so baptism identifies you with, uh, with Jesus Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism also identifies you with a body of teaching, a body of doctrine. It identifies you with a message. Look at Acts chapter 19. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe, since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Look at what this says. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? What were you believing? What were you identifying with when you were baptized? And now look at what it says. Look at what their answer was. They said, Unto John's baptism. And they answered, Unto John's baptism. They were identifying with John's message. What was John's message? The Messiah is here. He's ready to establish His kingdom. All you, all you in Israel, all of you Jews, understand your Messiah is here. That's what they believed. Was there an indwelling? Carol, you're looking at me crazy. Was there a Holy Spirit involved there? Was the Holy Spirit indwelling those people? No. What did Jesus Christ say to His disciples? John chapter 14. Well, you know, stop right there. Before we go there, let's finish this Acts 19 before I go too ADD on you. Look at what it says verse, at the end of verse 3. And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on Him which should come after Him, that is on Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Christ is the Messiah. That's what that means. The Anointed One, the Messiah, Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of what? The Lord Jesus. What's the difference? 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that it? That's what the Bible says. Look, look, at, look, look with me at it. Let's make sure that we get it. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Christ Jesus, what's it say? The Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be, what? Saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is... For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why is verse 12 there? There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Because Christ is the Jewish Messiah. That's the distinction. It's so important. How do we know that the disciples were not preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ when they were walking around preaching? How do we know that they were preaching about the kingdom? How do we know that they were preaching the Messiah was here? Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Now, those of you who come on Wednesday nights, you've heard this. Luke 18. Look at verse 31. Now, remember, this is toward the end of Christ's ministry here on earth. Luke 18. Look at verse 31. And He took unto Him the twelve... Now, when we see this in the Bible, the twelve, who are we speaking of? The disciples. All right? What did the disciples know about Jesus Christ's ministry? We're going to see something they didn't know. Look at what it says. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. Look at verse 34. And they understood all of these things. What's it say? None. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. They didn't understand the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was hid from them. How many of you think that's very clear in that passage? Very, very clear. No confusion at all. When did they understand it? Luke 24. After the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus meets with some of His disciples. Look at what it says in verse 36. And as they thus spake, Jesus Himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And He said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for the spirit hath not flesh. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. Bodily resurrection, right? And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy, what's it say? They believed not for joy and wondered. He said unto them, Have ye any meat? And it's even in our resurrection body, we're not vegetarians. Praise the Lord. 
And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. Now look at what it says. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. When did he tell them that? Luke 18. Right? Look at verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Now what's he tell them to do? And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. What's our message? Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's giving that to them now. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. <coughs> Jake, go give me some water. Why, why is that change happening? Why is that change happening? Why is that different? Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. It is amazing. Anytime that you talk about the apostles preaching the kingdom, people act like they've never heard that before. We have real weakness in our churches in preaching. This is, this is amazing because all we're doing is reading the Bible. We're reading the Bible in its context. But so many people have an agenda. Pre preachers have an agenda. Here we are. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Look. That is a completely different message than we preach today. Amen? What do we preach? Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Repentance, remission of sins. That's what we preach. So now we have to understand that there in Acts chapter 19, those disciples of John, they had been baptized and identified with John's message that the king was here to establish his kingdom. Now they had to receive the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14. Look at it with me. John chapter 14. And look at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. What does that mean? He wasn't with Him yet. Isn't that interesting? Then look at what it says. Uh, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth, what? With you, and shall be in you. They hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. Go back to Luke chapter 24. Look at verse 45. Luke 24, 45. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send... Is it I send or I have sent? I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. When did that happen? Day of Pentecost. That's, that's when it happened. 
Acts chapter 2. Look at uh, Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Peter, God has sent um, Cornelius and his, his band, of his Italian band, <laughs> I love that, has sent them to Peter, and Peter preaches the gospel to him. They receive the Lord Jesus Christ, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And now look at what this says. We're in Acts chapter 11 and verse 14, and he is, um, Peter is now explaining to the other apostles what happened. Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and uh, all thy house shall be saved? And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us, what's it say? At the beginning. At the beginning of what? Beginning of the New Testament church. At the beginning of the church age. There's a shift. There's a distinction. So what are we saying? Baptism requires the proper candidate. Somebody that's born again requires the proper mode, immersion. It requires the proper administration, the local New Testament church. That's where baptism is administered. Philip was a deacon sent out of the church at, at Antioch. All right, so here's what we have. It requires the proper candidate, the proper mode, the proper administration. Baptism identifies you with the Lord Jesus Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection, but it also identifies you with a body of teaching, with a body of doctrine. You see, before the death, burial, and resurrection, they were identifying with the teaching of a specific message, John's message. These were disciples of John. They had John's baptism. What was John's baptism? Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 3. Mark chapter 1 and verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Look, we do not preach baptism for the remission of sins. That was John's baptism. What's our baptism? What's our baptism? It's the baptism of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's identifying with that message. So, your baptism identifies you with the Lord Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. Your baptism identifies you with a body of doctrine. It identifies you with a specific message. What's interesting is, can you imagine telling somebody that John the Baptist's baptism wasn't good enough for you? Is that what the Apostle Paul did in Acts chapter 19? It's exactly what he did. It's exactly what he did. Not only does baptism identify you with the Lord Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection, it identifies you with a body of doctrine, a body of teaching, but it also identifies you with a local church. Look at Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 41. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized. Now, I want you to notice the order. <laughs> the order is you hear the word, you receive the word, and then you're baptized. doesn't come before. That order is important. Then look at what it says. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day there were, what's it say? Added unto them about 3,000 souls. Added unto what? The church of Jerusalem. The church of Jerusalem. Your baptism identifies you with the Lord Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. It identifies you with a body of doctrine, a body of teaching, and it identifies you with the local New Testament church and that church's teaching. 
And so that's why if you come to Grace Baptist Church, if you come from a church that has different doctrine, even if you are immersed, well, in order to be a member at Grace Baptist, you must be baptized to identify with the teaching that takes place in this church. That's what baptism does. It identifies you with the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. It identifies you with the body of doctrine. And it identifies you with the local New Testament church and that church's doctrine. It's such a wonderful teaching, such a wonderful truth. Now let's go back to Galatians chapter 6. Let me finish our outline. Proper mode. I'm sorry, proper candidate, proper mode, proper administration. Baptism is obedience. It's identification and it's also submission. Submission. And that's something that we've said for years. All of you have heard this. Submit to the Lord and believer's baptism. You're submitting. It's a sign of surrender. And that's why we baptize backwards. Because when you're, you're just helpless. You're helpless. It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of submission. It's submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also submission to that local New Testament church and its authority in your life. And remember... The, the, the authority of the New Testament church in your life, it's all based on surrender. We can't make you do anything because we believe in soul liberty. Is that right? We can't make you do anything. It's all based on your voluntary submission to the Lord, to the New Testament church, and to the New Testament church as it's obedient to the Word of God. Amen. So baptism is obedience, identification, and submission. Go back to Galatians chapter 6 now. How many of you have that little deal memorized? You know it. You have it memorized. A few of you. How many of you ought to memorize it? Would you raise your hand? All right. Galatians chapter 6. I don't know if you remember what happened. I, I had a pastor friend call me, and he said, uh, he said, Jim, can I baptize someone and then not become a member of my church? And I said, uh, that was a very difficult question. It's like, you know, when your kids ask you questions like, why, are, why is water wet? Why are holes empty? <laughs> you know, it's a hard, hard question to answer, right? Because there's nothing in them. Um, and so I explained to him what baptism was. What I just said to you, I explained to him. And he said, do you have that written down anywhere? I said, yeah, it's called the New Testament. It's the, it's the Bible. And so that's where our baptism booklet came from. It was that conversation where, where we did that. It's just important to teach these things from the Scriptures. It's amazing how many Baptists don't really understand the doctrine of baptism. Isn't it? It's very interesting. So we've got to make sure that we're right on those things. Pastor, that's all great. I'm glad you're telling us about baptism. What in the world does this have to do with Galatians chapter 6? Go back to verse 12 and I'll show you. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh. What are they trying to do? They're trying to make a fair show in the flesh. They constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. What are they doing? They're taking a physical rite that marks them as a member. What does your baptism do? Your baptism is a physical rite that identifies you and marks you as a member of Grace Baptist Church. If I tell you you've got to do that to be saved, if I've got to tell you you've got to do that to be a good Christian, what am I doing? I am adding something to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am adding something to it. I am changing it. So many people. How many of you have ever asked somebody if they're a Christian and they say they were baptized? That ever happened? Because that's where the majority of the world is. And it's completely false. It's completely wrong. And it's so easy to demonstrate from the Scriptures that it's wrong. It's so easy. Can I show you how to demonstrate it that it's wrong? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 17. 
What verse? What passage did I tell you to turn to? First Corinthians. All right, good. What did I say? First John or First Corinthians? Okay, good. Look at First Corinthians chapter one, verse seventeen. Pray for me. If you only knew what goes on in my head when I'm preaching, you'd think that I was just as clear as can be. Um, For Christ, here's the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So apparently baptism is not a part of the gospel. Amen? That's the only verse in the Bible we need to explain it. It, it is so clear. It's so clear. Now, you might be thinking, so then was Paul not obedient to the Great Commission? Paul wasn't a pastor. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 11. And he gave some... Okay, this is the church at Ephesus. He's explaining how the gospel came. And he gave some apostles. All right, is that the apostle Paul? Yes. And some prophets, that's the Apostle Paul, and some evangelists, that's the Apostle Paul. What's an evangelist? Church planter. Okay, that's what he would do. Now look at what this says. And some pastors and teachers. And some pastors and teachers. The Apostle Paul was an evangelist, an apostle. He was not the pastor. He would establish the churches. He would baptize people into those churches. There in that same passage of 1 Corinthians, he lists about six people that he baptized. I think it's funny. He says, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you. That's what he said. He wasn't real happy with him, except, except so-and-so and except so-and-so. Because Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So what did he do? Go to the book of Titus. What was he doing? He was establishing churches. People were growing in the Lord, growing in the faith, discipling one another. And what discipleship does is the cream rises to the top. As people are serving the Lord, then... You have leadership that grows from it. Look at verse 5. Or verse 4. To Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause I left thee in Crete. How many of you remember what someone who moves away from Crete is called? An excretion, right? For this cause... Man, you can't get quality humor like this just anywhere. You kids, don't try this at home. Train professional. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set, what's it say? In order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed. You see, these are the pastors now. These are the pastors. The, the cream rises to the top. You have all of the qualifications. Look at what he says. Verse, he goes and explains, verse 6, If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless. What are we talking about? Elders or bishops? It's the same office. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. All right? So these men who fulfilled these qualifications in that local church, God or the apostle through the Holy Spirit sent Titus 
to ordain those as pastors in those churches. And they did the baptizing. That's God's plan. That's God's order. Amen? It's wonderful to see God give us the answers for all of these things. Go back to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. All right. So now, it looks like this message may end up in three weeks, not just two. As many as desire to make a fair show of you in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cause of Christ. So we're talking about the error. The error that was taking place in Galatia was adding something to the gospel. It was adding something to the Christian gospels, adding something to the Christian epistles, the church epistles, and acting as if that was the truth. And it's not. That's error. The error that's made in our day is taking a right, a physical right, and people believing that it does something spiritual for them. The right that we're talking about is baptism, as if that makes the person, grants that person spiritual merit or righteousness with God. It does not. It simply does not. Whatever ceremony or outward religious act identifies you as a member of a particular sect or cult or group, the Bible says if your glory is in an outward act of human righteousness, you have no hope of eternal life. If you are trying to do something that makes you look like a Christian and think that gets you to heaven, you are not going to heaven. Why? Look at what it says in verse 16. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor, are, or, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. If you're glorying, is in the inward working of God's Holy Spirit on the merits of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have something this morning in which to glory. The cross of Jesus Christ. He did it for us. So that's the error. What's the reason? Why in the world would people teach something that's obviously unbiblical? Why would they do that? Well, look at what it says in verse 12. As many as desire to make a fair show of you in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. So why don't they want to do it? Because it's going to suffer persecution. Look, you can teach anything in the world and not suffer persecution. I wrote it down this way. You say, <laughs> you put a coexist bumper sticker on your car, you're not going to suffer persecution. Amen? You say to the world, I don't care what you believe as long as you don't care what I believe. None of us will care and none of us will believe and we will just all believe in what we don't believe or we'll just believe in what we do believe and we'll all just coexist. Brilliant. You understand that's where the world is. Uh, I wrote this down. I don't think we understand just how offensive we are to a religious and religiously secular world. Now, what do I mean by religiously secular? These are people whose religion is secularism. 
And that is a religion. I don't have time to go into the history of it, but secular humanism is a religion. The founders of it called it a religion, and that's the religion of the world that we live in now. All right? It, it, takes, it takes faith to believe that everything happened without God. It takes faith to exclude God. Is that right? So we understand that. Now, a person can say, I'm a Jew, I'm a Muslim, I'm whatever. But as soon as you tell someone else, that they are a sinner and that they deserve hell and that the only way, that their religion is going to send them to hell and that the only way to go to heaven is through Jesus Christ, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. As soon as you make that exclusive message, you're hateful, you're a bigot, and we've got to stop you. We've got to silence that kind of hate speech. So what happens? When you preach the truth, you are going to be persecuted. You're going to be persecuted. So why would someone force me to do something that has no spiritual benefit? So whether it's baptism or communion or, or circumcision or whatever, why would someone try to force that? So they can manipulate you. If the only way to heaven is our ritual, we control your access to heaven. And if I control your access to heaven, then I have control of you. See, if I tell you, if I tell Patrick that if he doesn't bring a certain amount of money to me, that he will be excommunicated. And if he's excommunicated, he can't receive communion. And if he can't receive communion, he can't go to heaven. Now I control his eternity. What kind of power does that give me? Power to move nations. Power to move nations. And that God hates that. That is wicked. It's a lie. It's an abomination. It's just wickedness. It's not the gospel. It sends people to hell. And the reason, remember when, when uh, why were Paul and Silas put in jail? Because they told people that they don't have to worship Diana. And the people that wanted to worship Diana, they were going to lose their money. And so we got to stop these guys. We got to stop these guys. Because religion's a big business. It is a big business. Amen. And that's why we believe in individual soul liberty. I can't make you do anything. I can persuade you through the Word of God. Amen. Now, what's the answer? Verse 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. A new creature. What does the Bible say? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. How do you get in Christ? 1 Corinthians 12, 13. The Bible says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. How do we get into Christ? Through the Holy Spirit. How does that happen? We hear the gospel. We hear the gospel. We believe. And then after we believe, we're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of the purchased possession until the day, which is the earnest until the day of redemption of the purchased possession, until Jesus Christ comes back. We get the Holy Spirit of God when we believe in Jesus Christ. Romans 8 9, if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. It's that simple. The Bible's that clear on it. What's the answer? It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If someone says, I'm going to heaven because when I was four days old, someone splashed water on my head, then why does nothing in their life change? 
if that sprinkling is going to change, then why is there nothing in your life to indicate that you're going to heaven? No heavenly vocabulary, no heavenly friends, no heavenly interests, no heavenly joys, no love for the Bible. Where is the new creature? I'm a Christian. Really? Really? A Christian that doesn't believe the Bible? A Christian that doesn't talk to Jesus? A Christian that doesn't care about souls? A Christian that can take fellowship or leave it? Has no interest in the, the institution for which Jesus Christ died? I'm a Christian, but I couldn't give a rip about what Jesus wants. That's a new creature? Look at what the Bible says, verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory. See, the answer is Christ. The power is right here. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look what it does. Look what true salvation does. By whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You see, it's not about devotion. It's not about dedication. It's not about trying harder. It's about what happens in the person when they are genuinely born again. Now, when you're born again, do you still struggle with the flesh? Galatians makes that very clear. But we have new appetites. We have a new family. We have a new home. We have new priorities. We have new loves. It's Jesus Christ in us, that Holy Spirit that changes us and makes us new. That's the power of the cross. That's the gospel. Baptism can't do that. Nothing can except the new birth, that regeneration that makes us new. We need to understand that the world's to be crucified to us and us to the world. We can't do that on our own. That's got to be the Holy Spirit of God in us. And that's what the book of Galatians about is about. It's about trusting in that cross and what that death, burial, and resurrection did for us to change us. Not having the pastor tell you, look, you need a different haircut. You need to sit up straight. That one's true. You need... It's crazy. Now, how many of you understand that we have standards here? We think that Christians ought to live like Christians. Do you understand that? None of that has anything to do with whether you're going to heaven or not. None of it does. None of it has anything to do with me putting on a uniform to be a Christian. That is wickedness. That's what the whole book of Galatians is about. And yet for 2,000 years of church history, people have been doing it. Why? Because the majority is almost always wrong. Amen? I like John Leffler. He says, your failure to be informed does not make me a wacko. <laughs> That's what we need to tell to the whole world. We've got the answers right here. Just because you don't know the answers, that doesn't make me crazy. Look, we have the truth. We love you. We want you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We'd love you to come to church with us. We love you. We love you. Now, I want you to understand something. This is so important. When we understand how messed up this world is, look at verse 12. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cause of Christ. I have James Knox's tract. We have this on the table back there. You can get this. And this is so good to put on someone's car who has a coexist bumper sticker. 
Okay? Here's what we're supposed to coexist for. Islam wants to kill the pacifists, the gays, the Jews, the pagans, the Taoists, and the Christians. All right? Then if Islam got its way, then the Taoists and the pagans would convert or die. The pacifists can only offer nonviolent resistance to the Muslims. How's that going to work out for them? Then the problem is, Muslim, the Muslim has no trouble suppressing dissent with violence, so the pacifists would be wiped out. The gay rights has been suppressed by all religions, which makes it intolerant of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Judaism is threatened by annihilation not only by Islam, but also by the pacifists who support Islam over Israel. Then the pagans and the Taoists are statistically insignificant, but need to help the sticker make sense. Christianity is who the sticker is directed at, because, but Christianity poses no threat to the others except through the truth. It's amazing. You want to make people mad, you tell them their religion has taken them to hell. That's the world that we live in. That's the world that we live in. So what do we do? What do we do? We say, look, come as you are. Jesus Christ, come, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's what Jesus Christ said. He's the rest for the weary. He's the strength for the weak. He's the hope for the hopeless. He's the love for those who aren't loved. He's the home for the homeless. He is everything that we need. Come on in. We want you. We love you. We want you to hear the gospel. But Jesus won't let you stay the way that you are. He will change you. We won't change you. Jesus Christ will change you. Amen? Amen. Man, when you tell people that, they are going to get ticked. But that's okay. That's okay. This world's not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasure is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Amen? We, this is, we have the world is crucified to us and us unto the world. It's gone from us. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We love Him. That's what the book of Galatians is all about. Do you want to know what will help us all coexist? How many of you would love to see religious peace in the world? This passage tells us how to have it. Look at what it says. Look what it says in verse 17 or verse 16. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them. Look, you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You believe in salvation by grace through faith alone. You believe in individual soul liberty. You believe in putting baptism where it's supposed to be. Hey, we can get along great. There can be peace. What does the Bible say? Woe unto them that cry peace, peace, when there is no peace. The world wants peace, but they sure don't want the Prince of Peace. That's where we are. That's where we are. Look, we have the truth. That shouldn't make us arrogant. That should make us humble and thankful. Amen? Look, we're not going to make you put on a uniform. Well, of course, you guys, we want you to wear ties if you're going to do certain things. I know that's Nazi. I understand. We want to put forth a good foot. Whether you wear a tie or not has nothing to do with whether you're a good Christian. Amen? Amen? I think that they're a, I think they're a communist plot. But I still wear one because it's expected. 
Hey, listen. It's so important that we understand this. It's so important. It's Christ that changes us. I, as your pastor, I will point things out in the culture where it's going to try and rob you of your joy, where it's a violation of the Word of God. I'm going to show you those things. But I'm not going to knock on your door and tell you you can't wear that. We're not the Taliban. Amen? We're not the Puritans that burn witches. Amen? What are we? Bible-believing Baptists who love God's Word, love His New Testament church, and understand the only way we can live the Christian life is through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why I can't glory in being a Baptist. I can't glory in my heritage. I can't glory in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, so much for your Word.